Welcome to the Lock Sportscast, your weekly source for Lock Sport news and sometimes interviews. I'm your host, Charles Current. In today's episode, we have a conversation with Chris Dangerfield. Chris is director of UK Bump Keys and LockPickWorld.com. A link to the UK Bump Keys and Lockpick World Twitter accounts and websites will be in the show notes. For full show notes with links, visit www.thelocksportscast.com. You can find this show on most podcast apps, on YouTube, and at thelocksportscast.com. Before we get started, I'd like to say thank you to this episode's producers. The executive producers for this episode are my Patreon supporters, Medler, Panda Frog, Michael Gilchrist, Starry Lock, Williams Brain, and To Be Deciphered. And I will have links to all of their YouTube channels in the show notes. Be sure to check them out. And a special thanks to today's guest, Chris Dangerfield. Uh, just as usual, I want to make clear that I have received no compensation for this interview. I asked Chris to come on the show to discuss the Bogota trademark issues that had arisen, and he was kind enough to accept. Uh, and to note, I did try to contact the U.S. trademark holder and the various companies associated there. I've received no replies, um, so that's where that lies. Also, we had a lot of technical issues during this conversation. Chris lives in Cambodia. I live on the west coast of the U.S. The internet between the two was not cooperating well, so there were several dropouts and uh, some lag issues. I've done my best to clean it up in post, but there are still going to be some issues. I apologize for that, but it was a it was a good conversation and well worth saving. So with that, here's the conversation with Chris Dangerfield. Well, uh, welcome to the Lock Sportscast. Uh, and might as well just get into it. So guest today is uh, Chris Dangerfield. He is, uh, are you the, the CEO or the president or how do you call yourself? UK Bump Keys and um, uh, Block Pick World. Director. Director. Okay. Mm. And why don't you just tell us a little bit about how you got into this whole lock sport thing and lock picking and ended up running lock picking, lock pick companies. <laughs> okay. Um, I, it started off very early. The seed, that evil seed was set when. And I was got a telephone at my house, and it was the old one with the dial. So you had to go for if, if you had, in England, the police were on nine nine nine, which is ridiculous because in those days that was like all the way around the dial, and then back. And you know, I think it's nine one one in America. You got say to what it should be one or just one. But um, so me and my brother um, quickly got um, busy. And ringing up people at road, sending them pizza deliveries. Our hairdressers was a classic. And just as kids looking at our window, finding it hilarious. Phone bill comes through. Mum and dad go absolutely mad. And they put a lock on the phone. And for me, this is an absolute tragedy because being able to make prank calls, you know, I'm literally six or seven years old. My brother's a couple of years older than me. Being able to make prank calls was really my first sense of power in the world. 
you know, being able to actually affect change in the real world was incredible. And uh, so I wasn't buying it. I wasn't this lock. It stopped the dial from going round. And I remember I didn't know anything about lock picking, obviously, or that it even was a thing. So I just thought it must be. I haven't got the key, but there might be things like a key. I think it was out of ignorance that made me decide I could give it a go. So um, I tried a few different items in there, and then I found, do you know the, the scraper from a pair of uh, nail clippers, that weird sort of scraper tool? Yeah. And I invented the, the first jiggler. Give it a little wiggle, that sort of too much caffeine sort of wiggle, jiggle thing. It opened, and uh, that was suddenly even more power than the phone pranks because I, in my head, I could now pick locks, and uh, that was the first time I ever picked a lock, and that stayed with me. That sense of achievement, and then the next time I saw any lock picks, I went to bunk school and get the uh, two-hour buses into central London. When I was about eleven years old, this was, and just walk around central London. It was full of like glitz and glamour in the West End and, you know, from a very boring town that I came from in central London at that age. And there was a shop underneath the arch, which is at Charing Cross. And I don't know what it just all certainly wasn't old enough to go inside the shop. And in the window, they had a set of lockpicks. I think, I think it was a Southall C501 set, the, uh, a tension tool, uh, uh, a double ball or a snowman, an S-rake and a hook. The idea that it seemed really legitimate, it, everything about it to an 11-year-old boy was spies and, and all the stuff that even as an adult lockpicking reminds me of. I'm not ashamed to admit that no, I love it. Yeah, I've been picking the and I still love it. I just look at it, like I say, I had in the shop. I tried a couple of times, but they would just like get out. It might have been military stuff, and uh, you know, I don't know. But that really that planted another seed. And so when the internet arrived, one of the first things I'd done after um, big breasted uh, girls was um, lock picks. Found some, and I ordered some, and they were awful. The customer service was awful. Everything about it was a distressing experience. I felt really let down. There was no backup. Even when I, even when I sort of wrote them afterwards, asking them questions, they weren't interested. Found another shop online. Same thing happened. What I saw on the internet wasn't what arrived at my house. Really, really uh, unpleasant. No afters. No support. No nothing. Just give us your money. We're sending you some bits of metal. Then I read about bump keys. I found out about bump keys and I thought that, you know, that's amazing. The idea of of keys then, but the idea that one death to the uninitiated is one key is going to open all doors. So I just got hold of all the old keys laying around my house and uh, sort of with hand files, cut little bump patterns into what I thought were bump patterns, <laughs> uh, found a couple of olds and just sat there hours done. Don't, don't, don't reset, don't reset. And finally one went ping and it opened and that feeling stayed with me today. Every time I open a lock, whatever tool or technique, it was just incredible. This idea that I had made this key and this lock I didn't have the key for, I've tricked it. I've overcome it. I've, I've, I've achieved something that you're not meant to achieve. You know, the world relies on these things to separate their 
uh, private property from the world. So it seemed really significant. I then washed up back at my mum's house after, after some really dark times, uh, homelessness, addiction, uh, really unpleasant stuff. And a friend came round me out, uh, carried on messing around with bump keys. You know, I had a little set of rat tail files. I was buying blank keys from shoe repairers and got hold of a few other locks from friends and that. And he was really upset because I had two degrees by the time I was 23. I was a bit of an overachiever and a master's degree. And he was like, what are you doing? Look at the state of your life. You're living in your old bedroom. You're doing nothing. You're yellow. Um, this isn't good. And he was a, a software engineer, so he was really ahead of the curve with technology and the internet. I mean, we're still talking dial-up here and not dial-up that you can buy from a shop. This is, you, you know, the tech barrier between in, not get, setting up shops, just getting huge. He gave me a, well, he lent me this big old sort of grotty computer, got me online, and he said, do, he was like, do something with your life because this is just a tragedy. So I was like, nice. And that night I found a forum and I can't even remember what it was, but the idea that I could talk to people in other countries was just incredible. You know, when are we talking now? Maybe 2000, a bit later than that maybe. Um, he, the first person I ever spoke to online was from Illinois. And to me it was incredible. He was a steel worker. And I remember being really touched that he had a truck and a wife and a new baby and, a really wholesome, honest, hardworking life. And I was like a, a washed-up addict living at the Mars, uh, sleeping all day and all night. And uh, my mate who gave me the computer came around the next day and he said, what have you been doing on the computer then? And I said, well, I've been on a forum. And he said to me, you can have your own forum. And my narcissism sort of, bing, I was like, oh, really? He said, yeah, we can set that up. I said, let's do it. So the idea of having a forum, you know, let's do it. He said, what do you want it to be about? And so I'd been obsessed with these bump keys. So I said to him, UK bump keys, let's call it UK bump keys. And he was like, all right. And I can remember the first post I ever wrote. I was like, because um, by this time I'd got one for a GG lock. These are all European British locks. So I don't think you have, maybe you have these in America. GG, Ledge, um, Chubb, Yale, I think that was it. I've got bump keys of these four locks and we uploaded some really bad photos of them. I think we even uploaded a video. It looked like it was made of Lego, but you know, and it was, and, and it was these locks opening and I just sort of wrote a bit like I was the, the world's expert. Although at that time I kind of was, cause I hadn't really hit the news. It, you know, no one was really talking about bump keys. And the next day I woke up and I had 600 members of my forum and it, I hadn't, I hadn't advertised it. I, I think I might have gone to a couple of other forums and said, oh, I've got a forum now. But it just went crazy. I think what happened was a couple of locksmiths saw it and they talked to their locksmith mate who talked to theirs and they all were like, can we buy some of these bump keys off of you? And I was like, yes, you can. They're, they're £10 each, which in today's money is about $15. And, uh, they were like, oh, I want a Chubb one. I want two GG ones. I want four Yale ones. I was making these by hand with little needle files behind the blank. So, so I went and got a key cutting machine. In those days, you could buy them off eBay. 
30 quid, about $50, this old Curtis thing, beautiful little machine. I've still got it at my mum's. It's like a hairdryer motor with a cutting blade on it. There's nothing else on it. Um, you, you put the key in, you put the copy key in, you set it up, press play, and it goes, and you've got a bump key. I, I, t- I started taking the shoulders off them, though. I realized that the shoulder on the bump key was hindering it. The original bump key, you take about a mil off the shoulder and a mil off the, mil off the tip, millimeter. But if you take the shoulder off completely, put a washer on it, you don't have to keep resetting it, which original bump keys, you bang them, you pull it back, you bang them. So I'd already uh, developed that. And uh, about three days later, I woke up and I had about 800 quid on the floor of my mum's welcome mat because they were sending me cash through the post. And uh, that was incredible for someone on the dole who was getting about 40 quid a week at the time. So then I set up a PayPal. My mate told me how to do this, then do that. Then I got some new tools and I made a bump hammer and that carried on and carried on. And nearly 20 years later, here we are. That's the story. That's how it happened. And then somewhere along the line, you started up a uh, lockpick world or is that what it's called? Lockpick world's like Lockpick World is only, I think, now probably just under five years old. But yeah, that's it's doing incredibly well. That's actually where I bought my first set of lockpicks. So, so thank you on that Did you one. Get amazing. Did you get amazing customer service? I I'm I bought the oh, picks no, and just went to work. <laughs> okay, that that. That, that it could have been a lot worse than that. <laughs> no, I did, I just I I'm not one to uh, communicate much online, which is weird that I'm doing this. But I'm honestly a very introverted person, so I just I bought the pics. I went on YouTube and just started teaching myself, but never well, asked any questions. One never. Reason, one of the reasons I was happy to actually get going and build up the business was because of those terrible experiences I had. And when you've only got a, a donated computer, you know, I didn't have any money to start that shop. The money was came from the bump keys and that was with my doll money. And I just thought this, you can make this work if you just do some basics, talk to these people, offer a bit of support. If they don't know how to use them, give them the option of talking to you actually. And, and that, that, has, that has stayed today, which is why I think, UK Bumpkeys is now, I think, 18, 19 years old. And I have seen 10, 15 shops go in that time because people, they get greedy, they get lazy, they forgot how they established their business in the first place. And they, they just think, oh, it'll be all right, pretty much runs itself. And I can assure you it doesn't. I've got a team of four customer service experts for UK Bumpkeys alone. That's just for that one shop because if you haven't got them, People, people will be complaining. They can't if you can't talk to people with the. You know what it's like with anything on the internet. If you can't talk to that shop, it drives you mad. And I don't want people. I am to this day. I am just as passionate about lock picking as I always have been. I still pick locks myself all day. Most days I'll pick a lock of some sort, some technique. And I don't want someone to have that same excitement I had picking that telephone lock as a kid, standing outside that shop at Charing Cross Underground looking at those pics for hours and just I don't want someone to have those feelings come to my shop and it and it'd be ruined and it'd be ruined by them getting the wrong thing sent to them or not knowing what to do with it because it you know it does it ruins people they might not get into lock picking I'm 
my if my business fails to do what it should do if it takes your money that could that could steal lock picking from someone's life and i that's the opposite of what i want to do so i maintain today the same business practices that i started with customer service is essential yeah i do recall getting a Very lot of there. a lot of uh kind of emails after i did the initial order kind of offering resources and stuff uh i remember something to that effect it was a while ago so I, it's all pretty vague but like i said i'm i'm an introvert so i didn't communicate back <laughs> but uh but i do remember there being a some support offered so that's always good that's not something i get anywhere else the thing we do, because what I do get elsewhere is marketing emails. And that's all right, because it's a choice. Do you want marketing emails? And I say yes, because I want to know what everyone else is doing. But what I've said to my people, my marketing people, if you're going to send out for every marketing email you send to a customer, I want you to send out a lockpicking video or a lockpicking article, something that if they open it, then you're not trying to sell them anything. You're not trying to get them to click on anything. They can open them an email and they can read about something that's new in the game or they can read a story about something. So it has to be at least one for one. I don't want people just to get sales emails because it drives you crazy. Yeah, and ultimately you just unsubscribe from them if you're, Hmm. you know, if you're somebody who's just a customer and all you're getting is, I've done it just actually today. I went through and paired off two more people that I bought things from that all you get is just, Sales, 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 another sale, another sale every day. And you turn them off. It was, as you know, as you know, it was Columbus Columbus Day last week, weekend just gone. One shop sent me nine emails over that weekend. And the, and, and not only did they send me nine emails, the, the, the increasingly patronizing tone of the subject, are you really going to miss out on this the next one? <laughs> there's only about four people like you out there. The rest were, and it's like, how dare you just go? So yeah, no, I, we, we do send marketing emails, but like I say, there has to be some, some value in signing up to um, emails. There has to be some value. In. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. That's a, that's a good viewpoint. So probably should just kind of go into it here. We originally, started talking because of the uh, Bogota trademark. Uh, Some people realized that it had been registered in the UK and led back to UK bump keys. And there was a whole bunch of talk about that online and and why it was registered in the UK and and who and all that. So I reached out actually to both sides and you were the only one that responded. The other side of this hasn't hasn't even... (laughs) Hasn't even acknowledged that I sent him anything. So, um, and you came back and I read it on our previous, uh, on a previous episode of the Lock Sportscast, your response. And I had uh, sent you a couple questions, but I offered to have you come in and, and discuss them in person. One of the things you said was, uh, the name Bogota has been used freely by suppliers and lock pickers for years before the trademark was registered. And so one of my questions was, do we have any uh, evidence of that? I, I know it's said, and it's. I seem to recall seeing stuff, but I couldn't find it. You know, it's hard to find evidence of it. <laughs> yeah, I think I think there is. I think you'll find evidence of that on Lock Picking One Hundred and One. 
Yeah, I I think for sure you will. I think that that that, that forum goes back far enough. Yeah, I was just I think there's curious I think if it was used videos as well before. I know. I, sorry, I know that the term was used. I was just wondering if it had been used in marketing of other picks before it was registered, which seems to be a okay. kind of a legal distinction there. No, I think, well, trademark law, like all laws, is notoriously um, hard to understand. <laughs> yeah. But I don't, I think actually they talk about it being used by the population as having more clout in, in a legal situation. If you can prove that people have been using it. I mean, look, even, even when we were sent a cease and desist for a lockpick world, our legal team said to us that, you know, you can challenge this because they asked us and I said, no, it's people call that design a Bogota. That's what it's known as. No one will refer to it in the first instance as a triple peaked rake. Perhaps second instance, but it's Bogotas or Bogota, as you say in America. Um, and, but, you know, that takes time and it takes money and it means getting loads of organisation and when you're trying to run a business, you know, and that's why people put these cease and desist out because really who's going to do that at our level? You know, we're certainly not. But, yeah. you know, I think, I think while I haven't, I, w- I, I reckon you can get a lot picking 101 and everyone's talking about Bogotas long before that trademark was uh, Well, yeah, I certainly... Was, uh, registered. Because um, I went to Lockpicking 101 to look up the uh, the history of it. So, and I see that it was somebody, uh, Raimundo, Raimundo, I don't know exactly how he pronounces it, but he designed it. And then he actually offered the plans and the instructions for how to make it out on Lockpicking 101 for general use. And then it looks like he made a deal with this other company, which I don't, uh, with the gentleman who run, ran uh, Sarah Pick dot com the website um to market have them made and marketed and he's the one that as far as i can tell that is the registered trademark owner in the u.s but i do see a lot of uh so that would be interesting to see how the, the legal is on that because it definitely was in common use in the forum as a name for that type of pick before long before the because they waited quite a while to register it didn't they it was several years mm. From what I saw, a lot long after it had been used and was common parlance. That, that's that's my point. You sent me an email. Oh no, you didn't. It was on Twitter. I, I think you said it. You gave the example of Band Aid and Hoover. I think Band Aid, Kleenex. You know, a lot of different that are in common use now. The they happened the other way around, didn't they? Band Aid, the company, became so popular that people then called adhesive plasters Band Aids people didn't call them band-aids before the company so i think those things are uh, you know it's the opposite way around yeah that's that is true that is a distinction there i mean i think it's worth saying that although we registered the uk trademark for bogota and we registered that a while back we haven't implemented it you still won't find the word bogota on the uk website i mean it's not a lockpick world because of the cease and desist but on uk bunkies our bogota rakes that everyone in lockpicking knows of bogotars and uh, multi-pick bogotars which multi-pick call bogotars on their website they're not on our website as bogotars there was a triple peaked rakes or or whatever something like that i think that was the last uh 
but they keep changing because we're obviously now having to test different names. But, you know, I, my concern was that this, this doesn't bode well for things like lockpicking because in the example I gave you is the deforest pick, which is relatively new in lockpicking, that name. Someone could trademark that next week. And then only their website will have deforest uh, picks. And then Southold, Multipick, HPC, whoever, will have to change, take that off your website. You can't say deforest. We've trademarked that. And I use deforest because it's kind of peculiar. You know, it's, it's a strange word, much like Bogota. But would that then stop you um, trademarking snowman or double ball, half diamond? And if you follow that logical conclusion, as a consumer, you're going to go to a website, right, I want a new set of picks. And whereas now, or well, a few months ago, you could go, okay, this set, it's got a deforest, it's got color hooks, it's got a um, couple of bogotars, recognizable names, you know what you're buying. If people start trademarking all sorts of names, you're going to go to a website and go, well, that looks like a nice set. What's it got? Oh, it's got a, a bottle loop. Pick, uh, a U-bend pick, a squazzy squazzy, a backwards double. I mean, come on. Batarang could be uh, trademarked soon. You know, that's relatively new. Lockpickers know it as a, as a Batarang, but actually don't know someone that one. can. It, it's like the Batman boomerang. It's called a Batarang. You'll, you'll know it from lockpick sets. It's one everyone says, I don't know what it's called. But that's my example. And, and, and consumers will suffer here at the end if, if, if people go down that route. And it's easy at this stage to say, yeah, but they won't. They won't. They haven't. Well, actually, they just did. And uh, it might be a specific example. But, you know, people in business frequently don't care about the customers. They care about the bottom line. And if they feel like they can increase that, they'll, they'll do what needs doing. So it... You said it on Twitter and you said it in my email uh, that you sent to me. You have no, just to be clear, you have no intentions of enforcing that UK trademark against other companies using the, mm. the term, right? No, no intention. No intention at the moment. But I, the, the reason I want to say that is because if another company was to come at us with something else, if, if another company was to say, you can't say Batarang, I might enforce it against them at that stage, but we we haven't got an intention to stop anyone from using um, Bogota in the UK. No, not at all. And we haven't. And I've got pretty good relationships with most of the lockpick suppliers. You don't you don't survive and keep growing in this game for nearly two decades by upsetting people. Right. And I guess if you were to try and enforce it, your own arguments against the original trademark would be just as valid and even more so against yours because it's been even longer. So it would be kind of a, yeah. a hard to enforce ultimately. It, if, I was in, if I was enforcing it for that reason, sure. But like I said, if someone was causing us legal problems elsewhere, I wouldn't be enforcing it for that problem. I'd be enforcing it as part of a different, I've just got to make that clear. Is that making sense what I'm yeah. saying? And another question I came up with as a, as a legal uh, item, I know here in the U.S., it matters. But do you know how, um, so how long had you been using Bogota on like lockpick world before you got a cease and desist? Do you know if they were actively enforcing that trademark up until current times or not? It'd be my question. Just because I know in U S law, 
Well, because I what I'm getting at is in from what I've gathered in U.S. trademark law, if you don't actively enforce the trademark yeah. and you allow it to become in common trade pre- name across multiple brands, if you don't enforce it and you allow other brands to use it, you basically lose the trademark because oh, it's not yeah, enforceable anymore. So mm-hmm. I, I just don't know if they were actively enforcing it up till now or if, if you guys had been able to get away with using it for a long time, then it well, might I, also. I, I can't say whether they're enforcing it with other companies, but we've, like I say, I think Lockfield, Lockfield, I think Lockpick World is four or five years old um, and it's had Bogota rakes in it since the beginning. And it was only very recently they said that they were going to uh, give us legal problems unless we removed them and really let us know next week. You still haven't done it. There's this one. There's this one. You know, and I, you know, for me, it gets a bit annoying because there's this idea that there was this suggestion, or there is a suggestion with trademark things that um, people might mistake that you're buying their products. But if you buy a 37-piece a, a multi-pick set with 10 Bogotas, no one thinks they're anyone else's. They're multi-picks. And interestingly, multi-pick are still using the word. Are they, are they using it in U.S. marketing and other sites? Do you know? Well, with the internet, and again, I'm no legal expert, but if you're selling to America from a, from a European site, I, I think the customer is in America. You're running into similar problems. Um, okay. Yeah, it, it gets a little weird. Trademark law is hard enough, but then you get into international websites, the, the internet nowadays. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I said, I was trying to figure some of this stuff out from YouTube, but it is, oh, man. So... The thing about law is, and you know, I've had to, I've had to look into various legal things over the years. But you have to learn the language of law before you can understand looking at, and it's a, it's a nightmare trying to do that. And 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 as soon as you join professionals, it it it's a it's a money pit. Just just keep throwing money into it. Oh, you you want me for another hour? No problem. You want me to do some more research? No problem. And then you get billed at the end of the week and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, look, I, what I will say, I know that company that um, make those picks and and give us that cease and desist. I like their products. I think they've been very innovative. I think it's cool what they do. They make, I, and I want them to succeed. You know, I, I I'm a lock picking supplier and manufacturer myself. I know what that industry is like. I know the competition. I know with like eBay and Amazon and Wish and all that junk being sold in the name of lockpicking um I, I want I, I want them to succeed but the issue is like i told you before i just kind of worry where we go with that because already people are now having to buy triple peaked rakes which yeah. not long ago they, they knew what that was called yeah so to be honest that's what i actually knew them by first was triple peak partly because the site i after Lockpick World, I discovered Sparrows and started going there for stuff. But, uh, and that's what they, I believe, call them. But, uh, so. But that, that's interesting because I think it comes down to when you got into lockpicking. Because I can remember when they came, 
because Raimondo has invented this pick and it was changer because it wasn't so much the design of the pick, it was the polishing. That, I think it's fair to that had many peaks and troughs on before, you know, and up on forums because when you're, when you're my, my UK Bumpies forum members at one point, there's not much new lock picks. And so without a doubt, 10, 15 years ago, people were inventing rakes with many peaks and troughs. But Raimondo polished it up, mirror polish. There'd never been a mirror polish pick before. And this whole idea, it worked. And man, did they work. You know, people were getting hold of these Bogotas. Or, and because Raimondo did, he put out page after page of how to make Bogotas. This is how you make my Bogotas. Uh, how to polish them, how to use progressively finer grits of sandpaper, all that. And uh, I am, and you'd be away. And it was, it was an event. Everyone was talking about that. That definitely happened. Yeah. I wasn't around at that point. I've only been in lock picking about a year and a half. So I definitely came in well after that whole thing. Um, you, you've been picking locks a year and a half. This is amazing. This is where I can get something out of this interview because it's a good, good research. What picking? What what kind of picking at the moment? Are you single pin picking? Yeah. Yeah, mostly single pin picking. It's it's the challenge, and I'm. Um, I actually haven't been able to do much picking since I started doing this uh, this podcast because it takes so much of my time. <laughs> but uh, um, mm. currently, I've got a Miwa PR in my vice that I try to get to every once in a while. But doing the high security stuff. <laughs> Mate. Oh, I think I'm. <laughs> well, I think I'm losing you. That, but I've 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 come. I've come Oh, okay. There we so, go. Okay. I'm down to maybe I'm back. Okay. You say that, you, you jokingly say that you're on the heavy security side, uh, one of those these tricircle padlocks, which you could shake open sometimes. <laughs> and it, it, I, was, I couldn't SPP that for about 12 years. I, I, you know, I'd, 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 I'm not the best SPP, to be honest with you. I'm all about raking. I am. Um, I love raking. Most of my time spent working with rakes. I think they're really underrated. I think, you know, people say raking is a beginner, a beginner technique, and it is actually because it's good for morale. You can give someone a couple of locks and a couple of rakes the chance with the right guidance, they're open them. But then they, oh, you move on to single pin. Without a doubt, you need to learn single pin picking. But don't drop raking. I beg you not to drop raking because <laughs> some of the locks you can open with rakes will blow your mind. <laughs> yeah, I never actually work too much with raking. It's a totally different skill. <laughs> the raking is a is a totally different skill I've found. So I'm I would consider myself pretty good at single pin picking. I am terrible at raking. <laughs> Absolutely terrible. I, I have a hard time opening a master lock number three with a rake. So <laughs> the thing is the thing is people think apply attention rake in and out and that's kind of okay that that's like three percent of it but that rake in the in that lock that rake it will tilt up it will tilt down it will twist both sides 
it will it will move up and down a few mil as well. So the amount of their ellipses where you come up, you go down, you come up, you go down, you can tilt and do that. You can go in and come back. There's just so many movements you can do. And you know, if you're raking, you need to be pulsing that wrench. That finger needs to be dancing up and down off that. Not for every technique. But if you if you pulse that wrench, you're going to have so much more success. Don't maintain tension. It, um, it doesn't make any sense because of the way raking works. If you can mentions, you're throwing variety at it. You're throwing option at it. Pick gun, you should be pulsing that wrench. And uh, so I absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll have to start practicing some more, I think. But I released the Aris and a uh, set of Apolaris rakes, really nice rakes. Um, I decided to write a little bit about raking to go with it. I thought I'll just write a little bit. And it, the, the document you get with those rakes is nearly 6,000 words illustrated all about raking. And uh, I could have probably done another 6,000. <laughs> and it's, it's not filler either. It's absolutely on the money. You cut out for a second there. What is this document? Where does it come? You, I, when I invented this set of rakes, I wanted to make the most comprehensive rake set. I didn't want people to have to buy singles all the time because singles is not cost effective. It's you know they're, they're always you always get charged more by single picks. So I wanted to make like a ten piece rake set, and so I did. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice if when they bought it. It had some basic advice in it, like how to hold a rake. Because beginners don't know that. They don't know. And I've seen pictures of people holding them like they're going to stab someone. You know, they've got a lock there and they're going. <laughs> so I thought, just a couple of photographs. You can hold it like this. Some people like this. But think about this. You want to think about getting those different movements in. So a couple of photographs. And as I carried on, it's nearly 6,000 words in the end, that document with about I don't know, 15, 20 diagrams and illustrations. And I could have gone on for another 6,000 was what I said easily. So maybe I'll do version two soon. So how does one find that document? Well, you get it when you buy a set of Polaris rakes. Polaris rakes? But if, yeah, but I'll send you a set and you'll, you'll get it emailed to you automatically. No problem. And then you'll have a copy and you want to put it on your Discord for people to have. I don't care. It's not, I'm not precious over it. You haven't got to spend money to get it at all. <laughs> not a problem. No, it's just, it sounds like a, a good resource for someone like me that's not, not practiced with the rakes. Some, some place to start. So how, how did you end up in Cambodia? Um, <laughs> I, so there's a big chunk of this story that I hinted upon. That I didn't um, dwell on, but I, I have had terrible addiction problems in my life, and um, you know that's how I ended up homeless. And that stuff was coming and going. You know, I set my business up while I was using. I set my business up while I was using, and amazingly, because UK Bump Keys was such an immediate success, and you know, it was crazy. It was just like. And because I was, not because we were exceptional, because we were doing the basics well and no one else was. Um, and we kind of started the forum shop model, which no one was doing at the time. And at that time, it was necessary. Now it's not. There's Facebook, there's Discord, there's, there's YouTube. But in those days, just having a forum stuff, so it, it worked really well. So I managed. 
managed to earn a bit of rehab center. I'd been to about 19 before up until that time every year I'd wash up at another rehab center but they're all like NHS which is the British welfare sort of medical service which for rehabilitation it's awful they're 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 not they're not sure you're treated very badly you might as well have gone to prison um but now because I, I was earning money I um I put myself into a, a half decent rehab I walked out of there at 35 years old clean as a whistle um and I had a bit of money and the business was going well. And because I was doing everything, I had a mate helping me, the bloke that gave me the computer. But when I booked myself into the rehab, I asked him and his wife if they wanted to run the business while I was in the rehab. When I come out of the rehab, business was doing even better than when I was falling asleep at the drug problems. And so I said, well, look, do you want to stay on? And they were like, yeah, okay. And at that point, I realized I could work remotely because if I could get a Wi-Fi signal, I could run my business from anywhere in the world because they were doing dispatch and stuff. So I'd never traveled, really. I'd done a bit of Europe, Spain, that. With an income, I had freedom, I was clean, and I had um, a business. So I started, I thought, well, everyone used to go to Thailand. I'll go to Thailand. I took myself out to Thailand at the time of my life. And on the plane home, I thought, well... I've got to work out how I can land and possible and that will be the rest of my life. It was so good. I had such a different life. I And, you know, because I just got clean, I was really learning who I was as well. I was learning my life and me. Um, so I fell in love with Thailand. I'd still call Patol my spiritual home. And then I got sort of weighed down in some pretty bad relationships as I've been prone to all my life, finally got out of them, one of them a few years back, and I thought, right, I'm free again. I'm going to move to Southeast Asia. Well, I don't need to be doing and throwing. Just move out there, run your business from out there. You know, technology and internet is so good now all over the world. I knew I'd be able to run it from out here. And uh, I decided I didn't want to live in Thailand because I didn't want to marry my mistress. Because... Patong is my it's a holiday for me and if I lived there I'd get sick of it because it, it's not a holiday now it's you know I, I made it clear what I mean when I said you don't want to marry your mistress so I'd been coming to Cambodia occasionally too and I liked Cambodia so I thought move to Cambodia and I absolutely love it I've been here over nearly three years now and yeah, so that answers one of my other questions, basically, how, how difficult is it to run that long distance company? But since it is an internet-based company, like you explained there, um, my only question is, how does the, the time zone difference affect you as far as running the business? For me, it works like a dream because I'm six hours ahead of the UK. So I can wake up, basically, I can get all my stuff done. I, I can get all my stuff done. I can go for a walk up the riverside. I can go for a quick swim. I can go to the gym. I can go to the supermarket. I can come back and they haven't woken up yet in England. And it's, it's like my afternoon. So lovely. By the time I need to start getting people to chop, chop and do some work, it's like three o'clock in my afternoon. So also I don't sleep a lot. You know, I'll, it's now 1am here and I won't be going to bed for another three hours. Oh, wow. So, uh, and my, my business partner, who I took on a few years ago, he um, he's the same as that. So we we tend to find we can talk most times. It's very rare for for us not to be able to contact each other. 
you know, we have to do things that I guess that most of the team don't like doing, which is regular team meetings with no agenda. It's all very well getting people up and doing Zoom meetings when there's things to talk about. But I make a point of us doing at least at least once every 10 days where we're all in just to chat, just to remember that we're a team, that this is a group project. Because what I found out in the past is if you don't do things like that, things things start going wrong and morale starts going down. You know, I, I need to know that my staff who are doing pretty boring jobs, to be honest with you, putting stuff in envelopes and stamping them. I need them to know that I think about them and that, that what they do is important to the business and, and any successes we have and any anything that's going on. And they're part of that as much as the rest of us. So I make sure we do all that kind of stuff. Oh, that's good. You, but, you know, it, it, technology has kind of adapted to those kinds of businesses. I don't think it's been the other way around, weirdly enough. Everything that I've needed is it's been like a zeitgeist thing, you know. It's it's been available sort of a couple of months later, you know. I'll tell you what we need. Oh, and lo and behold, you get an email a couple of weeks after that going, We'll do that for you, and you're like, sweet, let's go. <laughs> yeah, I, I, having said that, the one thing that I would say, and I would say to all your members, if you make orders from e-commerce companies and you're waiting ages for the shipping. You contact the company and they're like, we've sent it. Uh, we're really sorry, all this. You've got to trust them because shipping hasn't caught up. Even giants like DHL, UPS, they're, they're not good enough. They're not good enough to, 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 to run the, 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 the size and the speed that e-commerce requires. You know, that's still my biggest gripe. I, I, I can't believe the technology for every other part of my business but the shipping companies are awful. They're just not up to the gig. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's getting worse right now, I think, with this whole COVID thing. It's just... Mm. <laughs> it's you, kinda... you, you try telling a customer who's been waiting three weeks um, and the tracking says oh. it's to say, look, I know it's frustrating, but I can't send you another one because blah, blah, blah. And then you mention COVID. When their email comes back, you might want to move away from the screen because <laughs> that, that seems to be the one that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you what, if I was a billionaire and I had a lot of money to invest in a shipping company, you, you, you'd double your money if you could just do the job. Please. Oh, I think I'm losing you again. Um, I, I, I'd like to keep talking to you. You're, you're really quite uh, a fun guy to talk to, but I, I'm kind of worried about our internet situation. So, um, no problem. No problem. Well, listen, maybe I'll come back in six months and we'll have a chat about something else because I have, I will have some news that is going to really change things in about four or five months. Well, you tell you, tell you what, you let me know when you're ready and you can come back on standing invitation yeah so all right well thank you for your time it has actually been quite a pleasure talking to you you're 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 an interesting guy and and quite funny so <laughs> <laughs> uh, but listen thank you for reaching out because it's rare people like to run with ideas and and you you, you came to the source and so i really appreciate it. it's been a, a and it's been a pleasure to talk to you shame about the damn internet but thank yeah. you very much now i i i want to do uh, my goal with this whole podcast is to just do fair, 
honest, balanced reporting on everything. I don't want to take sides. So <laughs> I'll call it like I see it until I get more facts. But And I, I'm a little sad that the other side didn't reach out to me and, you know, or even respond to me. But I, I really appreciate your willingness to, to answer my questions honestly, fairly, and uh, explain your side. So thank you very much. Thank you. All right. And we're going to die again. So bye. All right. And that's it for the interview with Chris Dangerfield of UK Bumpkeys and Lockpick World. If you enjoyed that interview, remember that this podcast needs your support. You can support the podcast in one of the following ways. You can send me in any information you have that's Locksport related, even if you don't think it's important. Anything is is useful, even if it's a small little bit, or if you think everybody has already sent it to me, send it anyway, because there's a good chance that they thought the same thing and haven't sent it to me either. Share the show with your lockpicking friends. You can leave a review on your favorite podcasting app or a comment and a thumbs up on YouTube. You can subscribe on Patreon or donate via PayPal if you wish. If you support the show in some way, I'll give you producer credit and mention you in the podcast. So if you have a YouTube channel, a blog, or anything like that, be sure to let me know so I can put that in the show notes. Thank you, and remember, keep it legal. Legal.